Blog Talk Radio. Show live. I'm your show host, Dame Lillian Walker, and we are here in sunny Huntington Beach, California, and I'm here in the studio, and I am so excited because today we have a two-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, and her name is Jerry Schur. She has completed 22 film and television projects in 20 years in the entertainment industry. Live Life is a 12-part television series about healing through alternative medicine that has been brought by the Discovery Channel. A Fall River MA native, Jerry earned her bachelor's from the University of, I believe it's Massachusetts and Amherst, and in Springfield College. She has lectured at universities on cruise ships throughout the country and abroad. And then Jerry entered the transportation industry and worked in transportation for 18 years, learning the necessary skills to become a producer, believe it or not. She's going to tell us a little bit more about that on this show today. Her third career of directing and screenwriting emerged when she wrote a novel about a woman in the trucking business. That book is called The Twig Painter. The joy of her journey is presenting the world with hope and inspiration through the medium of, of course, film and television. Thank you for being on our show today, Jerry. Thank you so much for having me, Lillian. It's really an honor and a pleasure to be here. Well, it's an honor and a pleasure for us to have you with us, and I know that you're extremely busy and you're getting ready to travel the world uh, on a cruise liner to be sharing this TV series, and uh, uh, so I'm, I'm really excited that you were able to make it on the show today. And so um, before we uh, get into the nitty-gritty of the show, would you tell a little bit about yourself and where you grew up before we dive in deep with some of these questions about uh, how you're doing what you're doing? Sure, absolutely. I came from a little town, Fall River, Massachusetts, um, and I was at eight years old uh, knowing that I wanted to be an artist, believe it or not, and I started out uh, in an art career. I got a Bachelor of Fine Arts, as you mentioned, from UMass, and expected to just be an art teacher, and then I worked my way up and ended up teaching uh high school and then becoming a professor when I got my master's degree at Springfield College. And then my life took a big turn because Springfield College asked me to go to London and work for them there with my students uh, in a work-study program. And that kind of changed my life because I really enjoyed being in the business world. And I thought, wow, this is really intriguing. And although I loved teaching, it seemed more of a hobby to me. So I ended up going into the business world and believe it or not I was in the trucking industry for 18 years and that's kind of how I became a producer and then a director well and you know what I always say that no experience is wasted and no two people arrive at the same destination through the same means and so I think it's fascinating that you have a fine arts degree and that you started off you know teaching as a professor but yet you ended up in the trucking industry 
And you say that because of the trucking industry experience of 18 years, that that was the place where you got the skill set to become a producer. So would you please do tell. Tell us a little bit more about how connect, well, how connect you know, those dots. <laughs> okay, it's, it's amazing, but making a film, a movie, a television show is – is like running a company, but for you know two months or three months or a week or however long time you have. And I was running these huge conglomerate com- companies. It's the same thing. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with numbers. You're dealing with time frames. You're under pressure, and you have to know how to juggle all these things. I say that when you're on the set, you know you're the fairy godmother for everybody because they all come to you with their problems, and you have to handle them. It's the same thing when you're running a business. And then I learned a lot about the Teamsters, and I had a lot of knowledge about numbers and finances, which you really need when you're a good producer. It was pretty miraculous the way it happened, actually. I ended up writing a story about a woman in the trucking business, and that's kind of how I wrote my first screenplay and had my forte into the into the world of, of entertainment. But I always tell people my my art career is what makes me freeze every frame like a painting. Wow. Some directors are good, but they don't have the wherewithal to see every single piece of that frame and know that the colors match and the texture matches and it looks visually stunning. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so in essence, you're kind of like a, a general contractor where you're putting all the pieces of the puzzle together to bring to life, you know, the end goal. I mean, I always tell people I'm making this enormous puzzle and it's how you weave the pieces and the threads together. It's mm-hmm. almost like a giant on a loom you have the elements but you see in film and television you have everything you have dialogue you have sound effects you have music you have animation you have every single possible entity to work with and you have to string these all together and don't forget this 24 frames per second so when you multiply that out times you know 30 seconds and in a half minute and 60 seconds in a minute and you do the math it's millions and millions and millions of pieces Wow. So so how did you make that leap of going from the trucking industry where you got into actually directing movies and TV shows? Well, I was fortunate in the fact that my daughter was um, an actress at the very young age of three, Heather, and she was always doing movies that were coming to Massachusetts. So I was sort of hanging out on sets here and there. And then somebody asked me to help out sort of as an art person on weekends. I was still doing the trucking job, but I went and helped out, you know, for free just just to get experience and help them with art because I knew how to do production design. Never never been really formally taught. But I helped out, and after two weeks, the director came to me and he said, Jerry, you're not an art director, you're a producer. You got me everything I need for this whole movie. I want you to be the producer of this show. So that was my first um, experience, and I learned as I went along, sort of like on the job. And then other people in the industry in New York started to hear about me as a producer, and they called me and asked me to produce their shows. I did one for a Harvard grad for his, his thesis film, and then one for a USC grad for his thesis film. Hmm. And I did three of those, and then I wanted to do my own work. And these three director guys said, you can't be a director because, number one, you're a female. Number two, you live in Massachusetts. And number three, you never went to film school. But I figured oh. if they say I can't, I will. 
it's a challenge. Take you're going to take it on. Right, and that's what really made me be determined. And I said my first show, which was a 35 millimeter feature that I wrote and produced and directed. I said that was like my film school. Wow! So you wrote it, you filmed it, and directed it. Yes, and then about 13, 14 years ago, we moved out here to L.A. because there wasn't that much work in uh, Massachusetts. I did a big, huge project in New York for five years on 42nd Street, which was miraculous. And I really wouldn't have gotten the rights to that project if I had not had the experience in the business world because I was dealing with you know huge companies, uh, government, private industry, but I did get the rights, and I worked um, on 42nd Street doing the revitalization of Times Square and the moving of the Empire Theater, which was a four million pound building that they picked up and moved without the touch of human hands by uh, hydraulics. Oh my goodness! Wow! Wow! And so, um, how did you how did you go from uh, you know writing your first film and directing it and filming it to actually getting people to buy into you, you know, since you had gone from the trucking industry and now you're leaping into into the entertainment business. How did you make that leap where you were able to, you know, weave the people together, as you say? Well, you know, I think you have to have nerves of steel and you have to be <laughs> able to move mountains. I say that, you know, when I was in Massachusetts, um, you know, and I was trying to break into this L.A. Uh, Hollywood industry, I took the UMass um, alumni book and I opened it and I went to any person who was living in Hollywood and I called them if they had graduated from my my college and I talked to them and told them who I was and what I wanted to do. And that was like absurd at that time. You know, I mean, I, I must have called like 200 people or 500 people. And I think I just had so much tenacity and so much perseverance, it's, and, and I had so much passion within me. Like, I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a driving force, and you have to have that, or you could never make a movie because it's so difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably mm-hmm. really, really the hardest thing to do. So, you know, one thing led to another, and people, doors started opening. I think when you work at something really hard, then then – the universe works with you, and the universe did open up to me. Um, you know, I was just very fortunate to be, you know, knocking down doors. That's all I did. Wow. So, and I, and I think what you're saying is true, uh, you know, and I know you, I happen to have had the wonderful delight and pleasure to have both met you and your husband recently as a direct result of somebody that I, you know, Debbie was my one of my roommates in college when I went to USC, and she recently said, hey, oh, my gosh, I never thought of this before. I need to connect you two. Mm. Um, well, that's a perfect but, example of, of how it is. everything comes to me. It, it, it just sort of happens, you know, through osmosis. It's not mm-hmm. like, you know, I was trying to find you or, you know, calling mm-hmm. 10 radio stations. I mean, this happened very organically because it was supposed yeah. to. Exactly. Yeah, it's so true. And, and the one thing that I um, perceived – about you before I even met you when we had that initial call that Debbie introduced us was your passion and you had this drive and tenacity for what you're doing and how you're doing it and your message and I remember when Debbie told me at first that uh, you know that your live life tv series has to do with healing and with natural um, and esoteric types of uh, remedies and it's really to uplift and empower people 
so that they heal in all the different areas of life, I thought, oh, my gosh, you're right. This is like we're both, you know, on that same vibe. We're, we resonated so loudly with each other because we're so passionate about that. But it's true. Passion right. is the fuel that's going to get you to where you want to go. Right, absolutely. And, you know, little did I know many, many years ago when my daughter was on the film set of The Next Karate Kid uh, with Hilary Swank in, in Massachusetts, she was working, and I was just sitting under a tree with jeans on, and no one really know, you know, knew where I came from or who I was, and I had this appointment with an astrologer, and we talked, and she told me some things. This was many years ago, I don't know, at least 30 years ago or more. And she said she saw me in movies and she saw me healing the world and helping people throughout the world in a healing mode with something to do with helping with medicine. And she she said, I'm going to be in movies. And I didn't know what she was talking about because I was in the trucking business then and, you know, really working my way up the corporate ladder. But every single thing she told me that day happened to me. That's incredible. And, you know, we talk a lot on this show. I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, what I believe is that there are a string of miracles or what I like to call God incidences that occur mm-hmm. that if we're paying attention, um, not, not only do more of them start to occur, but you notice more of them and more incredible things begin to happen and they become, you know, this kind of magical, miraculous way of living really starts to unfold because you allow it to come into your experience. And it really does eliminate a lot of the struggle because just like you and I met, it was I wasn't looking for you, you weren't looking for me. It was obviously meant to be, and it was like I remember when I first met you, I thought it's kind of like being home. It's like I've known you for forever, and yet I just met you, uh, you know, less than two weeks ago. Right. Well, it's it's pretty amazing if you watch for the signs, and I do that all the time, and I live life pops up in my life everywhere, you know, on street signs, on license plates, and it's just affirmation. I mean, I was in Whole Foods recently, and, and the man who was helping me find something in the store had live life tattooed on his neck, and I couldn't believe it. Oh I was gosh. like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Wow. But I know I'm supposed to do this, even though I'm not a doctor, a scientist, or a healer, I have been mm-hmm. put here on this earth to do this project. So it's it's pretty amazing. Well, and I love what you say because um, – and, and there's one thing that I will disagree with you because you say that you're not a healer. I would say, Jerry, you are a healer. You are using media to help people heal, and by definition, you are a healer who happens to be in media. Thank you. That makes me feel good. You're the first person that's ever said that, and I – I'm delighted to think that I could influence people in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of my goal in life. I only want to work on projects that will influence society in a positive way. And that's why when I met Dr. Emmett Miller up at Esalen many, many years ago, probably in 2003, um, I was fascinated with him. He was talking about mind-body science and guided imagery and you know, making your cells change just from your thoughts. And I was so into it, and I gave him my card, and I said, Dr. Miller, I loved your seminar, and if you ever want me to work with you on a documentary, you know, here's my card. And, of course, you know, a few days later he called, and we talked, and he came to see my work, and that's how I originally, originally started working on this project. Well, I wanted to ask you also, so what was the actual inspiration for the actual TV series Live Your Life? 
Well, when I first started talking to some of Dr. Miller's patients, when he got permission to share stories with me, the first one I met was little Will Peters, who was nine years old, and he had an inoperable brain tumor cancerous. His family had four children under the age of nine. His dad was a cardiologist, and they were told that Will would be dead in a year. And they were so completely devastated and didn't want their son to die and decided to do everything in their power, something different to try to heal this boy. And they did not want to do the usual chemotherapy and radiation because they felt like that would kill him. And this is the story I started with. And when I met this child and when I talked to the family and then went up to their home and spent some time with them, I realized I have to make this into a show. And I've been following Will for 10 years. He is now a senior at college at Holy Cross in Worcester and doing fabulous. Wow. And, you know, I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, here we are, you know, you're producing, directing, writing uh, films and TV shows. And think about what an incredible um, relationship you have with the Peters family. Uh, The fact that you were able to witness him going from being nine years old to now he's, what, 20, 21 years old in college. Mm-hmm. He beat all the odds, all the neurologists, all the doctors, all the you know um, uh, chemical toxicologists and so forth are giving him plenty of evidence. You know, and his father being a cardiologist, he knows the grim reality. You know, no, they, can't, they can't sugarcoat anything because as a physician, he knows what those numbers, what the evidence, what it truly means in his world. Mm-hmm. And That's to be right. able for you to to walk this journey with that family and see Will overcome an inoperable brain tumor. Well, it may have been inoperable, but it wasn't that it was not healable, obviously, because it's come to pass that he's he's fine. He's beat the odds and he's living a completely full and healthy, beautiful life, which, you know, he cheated death, basically. Exactly, and the show explains the five different um, alternatives that he used. It's on our website if people want to go to jerryshire.com and then just go to the Live Life page. You will see uh, a blurb on Will and his photo and all the other 12 shows. Um, It's J-E-R-R-I-S-H-E-R, jerryshire.com. It's easy to remember, just my name. But um, the thing about... I when I'm working on a show, I'm eating, sleeping and drinking the character. So, yes, I, I have been on such a journey with them all these years because I'm so involved when I'm when I'm editing every piece of the footage. And this is what happened to me with all of the shows. You know, we have a show on bipolar disorder, on migraines and, you know, everything, you name it. Wow, this is um yeah, really quite spectacular. And and uh, you had I know that we saw in your private screening of um, the pilot for this TV show, we also saw a second show. You have another um, individual who had a radical transformation, I would say equally trans, you know, as radical and life-transforming as Will, and he was an older individual. Would you share a little bit about that particular uh, person and how, you, how they came across your path? Of course, Bahavaram, who used to be known as Brad Willis, was a a journalist, and he worked with Tom Brokaw, and he was over in uh, Afghanistan and just all over the world, you know, working as as a journalism, a journalist, and he became 
really sick with a, well, he fell and he had a broken back and then the surgery didn't work and he was out of work for about a year and he became sort of depressed because he didn't have his work anymore and then he developed throat cancer and he was really sick and on his way out, checking out basically like Suicide Alley. And he um, actually, his child was little, two years old, came to him and said, get up, Daddy, get up, Daddy, because he was always on the couch, never could move. And he said it was the child that inspired him to live again, and he decided to try to heal himself. He healed himself, believe it or not, through yoga, Lillian. And he started a yoga studio in in, uh, San Diego. He lives in Coronado. And I met Bahava through Dr. Emmett Miller uh, because uh, Bahava wrote a book, and he dedicated the book, the beginning of it, to Dr. Miller because he was in a rehab center and when they sent him to biofeedback and into listening to tapes, they gave him Miller's tapes. And when Dr. Miller was on the on the uh, tapes, he went to them and said, "Who is this voice? I want the, all the books on this person." And it was Emmett Miller. So he's been using his healing methods, guided imagery, as well as the yoga to heal. And he is like just fabulous now, such an amazing man. It's it's one of our great episodes, and we're. We're just um, thrilled to think that we can show people that yoga, which another one of our of our um, shows deals with a woman who healed her yoga too. Yeah, and 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 these are the things that people need to know that are not cost prohibitive, that are more effective, that are within their reach in their communities, and that they can start to implement and do today. The moment they finish watching, you know, the different series depending on what the issues are that people have, they can start to implement some of these things immediately, and they can start to seek out others who can help them, who are farther along than they are in their journey that will assist them in their healing, in whatever your area it is that they're facing a challenge. I hear a buzzing. Is that your end or mine? Oh, it's just stopped. Yeah. Good. Um, well, you know, a lot of people are facing challenges, even from, like, birth and young people and some of the stories that I've delved into it's amazing to me that someone knew they were really sick as as a youngster they remember what it was like in the womb and they talk about that um Lakshmi was abused as a young child and was locked in the basement and told she wasn't allowed to have an imagination and despite all that she has really come to her own and she's the woman who invented chair yoga for the elderly and the disabled and she goes around the country certifying people uh to become the occupational therapist to deal with the elderly um it's pretty amazing but she remembers she remembers that her mother wanted to get rid of her and she said no i'm going to be born she remembers when she was in utero it's pretty astonishing and Manju, whose episode deals with when she was a little baby, her mom picked her up from a playpen, and she had just been making egg salad, and the baby was crying. And when she picked her up, she turned blue completely because her hands were in the eggs, and she was highly allergic. And oh. she remembers that. And this woman suffered for 20, well, till she was, I think, age 50 with severe skin diseases, you know, couldn't get rid of it. She was itching all the time. She says, I was on fire. And it wasn't until she met metaphysical healer Don Douglas from Australia that she has a new, complete new life and her skin is perfect now. But people used to think that she had some sort of, um, you know, really horrific 
skin disease like leprosy or something like that. Because it was so bad. It was so bad. Kids at school used to say that to her, yeah. And, she, you know, her story cut, goes way back into childhood. You know, with Will, because he was so young when I met him, nine, we didn't go so back into childhood because he was a child. Mm-hmm. But many of the other stories of the 12 go back into childhood, especially like Fred Siegel, which you know Fred Siegel has stores. Oh. Mm-hmm. And there are still Fred Siegel stores all over Japan. Well, Fred has one of our episodes, and he talks a lot about his childhood. Wow. That's really quite remarkable. And Fred so, Fred actually healed through love, and, um, you know, he wrote a book called Love One Another with Don Miguel Ruiz, which I know he's yeah. been on your show many times, and yeah. um, and the Dalai Lama, and his story is very powerful. He He's actually, he revolutionized the gene industry down, you know, when he was in the 50s. I mean, this story is, is different from all our, of our others, but in itself compelling. Wow, so that's fascinating that you actually have a particular show that shows somebody being healed through love. That's right. And his his big problem in life was was divorce when his wife left him and he had three children and she he was she was shacking up, you know, with another boyfriend and that was devastating to him. And that happens a lot in society today. Wow. So and and it's funny because I think that a lot of people, you know, here it's like, oh, somebody was healed through love, and they're like, oh, that's kind of tongue in cheek, and it's kind of cute, and you know, I don't think they they really take it seriously sometimes, and they, I think most people really underestimate the power of love and the energy that is behind love, and how really love is behind, you know, all the healing arts. That's the right. one, you know, they say God is love. They say God is love. We know that God is love. God is light. But even from a scientific perspective, scientists now can actually measure, you know, the energy and the frequency of love and the frequency of joy. And Right, and it's be... all about energy. Mm-hmm. It's all about energy. It and is. many of these healers yeah. that I've met heal people through energy. Christopher's family, Christopher's an amazing man who I had the pleasure of meeting. His family, it was love that they had for him that they insisted that he sell his company because he was down to 85 pounds and sick, very sick with colitis and Crohn's disease and really almost checking out. And it was their love that made him, you know, insisted that he sell his company. And he didn't heal until he met John Douglas. Wow. So that's incredible. So that's one of the episodes in your series as well. Right. Um, Christopher owned and developed the largest uh, discount phone company in the world. He had um, offices in 196 countries, and he was doing business from a bed, a hospital bed in a plane, and they would fly him around um, like this was for 13 years. He was really sick because all of the prednisone that he had been taking for 13 years was deposited in his body. And the the show shows how John Douglas took all the poisons and toxins out of his body, and um, it's really remarkable, remarkable. John is one of our main healers, as well as Dr. Bruce Lipton, a cellular biologist, and Dr. Emmett Miller, and Dr. Candace Pert, who was in the movie What the Bleep. Wonderful, I know. And we've had Dr. Bruce Lipton on our show as well. And, again, he talks about in his um, in his teachings and, his, and in his actual 
hands-on studies of microbiology that he's also taught in medical school, he talks about uh, about what we just discussed a minute ago about love, and, and he is transparent enough to share his own journey of how, you know, one relationship was a catastrophe, one right after, mm-hmm. it's like one train wreck after another train wreck. Right. And he relates it to, since he was a specialist in microcell biology in med school, he actually could show and very effectively shows in his book, um, Creating Heaven you know, on Earth, how at a cellular level and even looking at the periodic table of elements, how there's a vibration and a frequency for the noble gases that's different from all the other elements on the periodic table. And right. he realized he's, he's- He's remarkable. I mean, Bruce has such insight that we all could just gain so much from. And we interject Bruce and these other healers in and out of all these episodes. So you could watch one of our episodes and there would be something in there from Bruce, something from Candace, something from John Douglas, because all of these people, uh, even though you would think they have nothing in common, they have everything in common. Everything in common. Because they were victims and now they're heroes and now they've healed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have to say that when I first started this journey, I had no idea that it was going to go so long and be so become this, you know, 12-part series. But everything in this life takes time and the world has to be ready for it. And now the world is ready for it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and the beauty is, I I mean, our world tends to think of, you know, science on the left, spirituality on the right, and they're the two farthest things, you know, diametrically opposed to each other. And what these physicians and yourself uh, are are showing and proving is that they're really one and the same. One supports the other. One is one way of thinking and, and languaging it, and the other is the same thing but spoken and languaged in a different form. And both prove each other. And your show is pure evidence of that. Right. And, you know, I didn't want to just talk about, you know, cancer, because not everyone has that, but there's a show on the disease of obesity, because so many people are plagued with that illness. Mm -hmm. And we have an individual, Melinda, who lost 127 pounds. She was 5'1", and she talks about her journey and how she, you know, changed her life. I mean... There's something in the series of Live Life for Everyone, you know, in one show or another. Do you have any shows that deal with either, like, um, issues like with bipolar or manic depression or autism or things of that nature? Yes, we have this wonderful show. Erica, when I met Erica, she had a baby two weeks old, and she started, she had bipolar, she has bipolar disorder, and her family found Dr. Miller when she was a youngster. And finally, when she got the right diagnosis, the family was so grateful because they didn't know what was wrong with her. But she was on so many medications from her illness that she wanted to have a baby, and everyone said she could not have her own child because she was on too many drugs. So Dr. Miller helped her through guided imagery to get off the drug so that she could get pregnant and have a child. We started filming Erica when her baby was two weeks old. And now today uh, her son, Yeshaya, is uh, 10. It's pretty miraculous. And, um, you know, her, her husband said, Life is like a roller coaster living with Erica. One minute she's up, one minute she's down. So, <laughs> you know... That that's unfortunate how that illness goes, but um, 
Talking about autism, when I was in Florida at the Upledger Institute of Craniosacral Therapy, which is part of the Will story, um, Rebecca Robertson was working on a little boy who had autism, and the family was from Texas, and they brought him to Florida once a month because they said that the craniosacral therapy was helping this little boy so much. So I hope after the series airs that we'll do more, that they'll want more more shows, and I'll pick a child with autism and, and film him too. Wow. Yeah, and again, I, I, that's something that is, it seems like we have record high uh, accountings of children that are coming down with autism I mean, when I was growing up, I don't I didn't know anybody who had autism. And then by the time I got to college, you started hearing of people, you know, children and some young adults who had autism. And now it seems like I don't know, it, it almost seems like 20 or 30% of kids have autism or maybe more. It seems like it's so pervasive now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, people sure. know how to talk about the diagnosis now that they didn't when we were little and growing up, but that's with anything. I mean, nobody realizes that one out of 650 children have cleft palate, I mean, are born that way in the world. I mean, wow. I did a movie recently on Smiles and Takate about children with cleft palates and all of the doctors from here that go down on Smiles International to help um, operate and fix these children. Um, then, you know, there's so many issues. Look, the homeless, I mean, my my step-up piece, the one, you know, that I have the Emmys for, that's about um, mental illness because 50% of the people who are homeless have mental illnesses like schizophrenia or bipolar or depression. Wow, those numbers are so high, too. And, again, there are cures. There are cures that will actually help heal people and transform them and so that they can live the fullest life that God intended for them to to live. Right. And when I met Leroy to do the step-up piece, I was amazed. This man in Santa Monica had been homeless for maybe 13 years, you know, living on the streets. And through the charitable work of Step Up, who provides homes for homeless people, he got his own place. And he is like a completely transformed person. In fact, that little short is on my website, too. So if people want to watch that little short that won the Emmy, they can go to um, com and click on the Emmy page and see the story about Leroy. Wow, that's fantastic. So now you got to tell us. How did you go about, I mean, one thing is to be able to, which is obviously a monumental feat in and of itself, to write, film, direct your own TV shows and films, but to actually win an Emmy, I mean, just to be nominated is huge kudos to you, but you've actually won a couple Emmys. So how did you do that? Well, I've been in the Directors Guild since 1998, and I'm very privileged to be in an organization like that. It's it's really fabulous. I couldn't take advantage of it when I lived in Massachusetts, but now living out here, I can be over there three or four or five times a week. They had a program with the City Santa Monica TV um, where they were going to pick three directors to uh, make three films on three charities in Santa Monica, one of which was Step Up, and that's the charity that I wanted to make the movie about, and I was chosen to do this film about the organization that provides homes for homeless people. So I did my my little five-minute short, and then the two other directors did theirs. One was on Bread and Roses uh, Company, and one was on OPCC. Those three were were married together to make the film Santa Monica Cares, and uh, City, City 
TV Santa Monica submitted it for the Emmys. Now, when we were nominated, when we got the nomination, I was so happy, and I was like, just to be nominated is such a big deal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the night we were going to the Emmys, everyone kept saying, you know, how do you feel? I was like, I'm just so happy to be here. But funny, two nights ago, Lillian, when I was watching the Emmys Sunday night, I, I had to say it's the same thing because when I, they called my name in our, our, our show and I went to go up on the stage, it was like an out-of-body experience. Like I don't even know how I got up on the stage. And it's so funny because a lot of the people Sunday night were saying that. Like it was like an out-of-body experience. It's true. Um, and I just feel like people value the work. They know the work was good, um, not good, but great, I guess. And I'm just proud of it because we were up against, like, such good shows and shows that were, like, you know, 25 and 30 minutes long, and our show total was 15 minutes. So I feel really great about that. And, you know, it's it, it's the highlight of my career, so to speak. And then that's what happened. That's why Discovery Everything was stepped up. We were in negotiations with them before I even won the Emmy, but once I won the Emmys, it, it happened quickly. Wow, that's that's really fantastic. So what advice would you give to others who are, you know, there's people out here listening that are already have TV shows in production, either pre-production or production, uh, or someone who is, has a great idea with a great story that would like to make it, you know, make a TV series out of it. What would you advise them? Well, I would say you have to be true to yourself and listen to your heart. I mean, I only feel like I listen to my heart and I and I act upon things. I just get like that seventh sense, that intuition. But you have to have huge amounts of confidence within you. You have to really believe in yourself. If you don't, you're never going to get anywhere. And that's with any any career, actually. I would say, mm-hmm. the people who rise, the cream to the you know the top of the co- coffee cup, the uh, is is people who have you know um, just humbleness. You always have to be humble, and just feel like you're going to do something good for people. You know what you give, you receive. That's my philosophy. So I always try to help others. I mean, I just got a call like last week from somebody in Washington D.C. and they said, "Oh, we saw your step up piece, um, the Emmy winning one." Santa Monica City won some big award. Can we use part of part of your show? Well, I said, of course, yes, you can. You have to be good to others because it will just come back mm-hmm. to you tenfold. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, well, you know, it's, you're paying it forward, and what you give out comes back to you multiple fold. Yeah, and what we're trying to do now, and maybe some of your 1.2 million viewers all over the world, which I'm astounded about, it's so fantastic, could you know, watch our trailer. If you watch the Live Life trailer, which hopefully you guys are um, streaming on, on the Internet now, and I had sent you some pictures a little while ago. But if you if you watch the trailer on our website, um, Live Life trailer, and it's on YouTube, we're trying to get like a million views so that we can say to Discovery, you know, air it sooner than later. Like get let's get an air date. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have it posted here in the description of the show for our listeners, for those of you who want to check out the uh, trailer. It's both on jerryshare.com, and we also have have it here in the description, so that uh, as you're watching the show online or you're listening to it on your iPads or mobile devices, you can click on that and do share it with your friends. Because again, we it's set to air on the Discovery Channel, but we don't have a date yet, and we're wanting we're wanting it to be sooner rather than later. 
I, I got to tell you, it's all I about saw... it's all about having everything go viral, you know, with Twitter and with Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I saw the the pilot that you shared with us, and uh, that episode with um, the war journalist and uh, Rod Willis, and I I would have easily sat there and just watched all twelve episodes back to back the rest of that Sunday <laughs> afternoon because I had. I call it the God feeling, which is kind of like, you know, having the goosebumps or the, um, you know, having that vibration go through you on steroids. And it was just such a, you were like, I couldn't believe my eyes and ears and the story and the people and the way, the way you had everything unfold. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like right up my alley. And so I can't wait to watch the balance of the series. So if nothing else, Discovery, get on the get get your game together, and you need to tell us yesterday when this is airing. Well, uh, we are we are so grateful that you watched those, and I can't wait to have you over to watch more. I mean, the beauty of these people that I have met, like Jerry Elster, she had a alcoholism and breast cancer problem, and was really checking out with suicide. I mean. After she was raped, they found the guy who raped her, and it was three years later, and the statute of limitations made it so that he walked. And you know what Jerry did? She made it her business to change the law in California, and now the statute of limitations has been changed forever, and if they find somebody 20 years later, they they get put away. And now she's doing it all over the country. So all of the people that, that I've chosen very carefully have given so much back to society and that's what's so beautiful about this series like for every 50 people i meet who wants to be on the show you know i'm very careful on selecting people that are really doing something to give back that's wonderful again you've got that intention and it's it's coming back to you multiple fold so we have here maybe about 15 more minutes left to the show and i want to also dive dive in deep into your book the twig painter we talked mm-hmm. very briefly about it at the beginning of the show that you wrote this book called The Twig Painter. And um, as, as of course, uh, God, with his funny sense of humor, he would have it, um, I was very amused when I started to read the book. And one of your characters is obviously Indonesian. And mm-hmm. I'm just getting ready on, you know, to go on an assignment, a three-month assignment to uh, Indonesia for three months, and I thought, no way. Of of all the nationalities <laughs> on this planet, you know, <laughs> your character would happen to be Indonesian. I thought that was very uh, another God incident. So tell us yeah. what the inspiration was for this book. Well, I took my two careers, which was twig painting. Uh, I paint with twigs from a tree on uh, illustration board and dip into indie ink and my trucking career, and I combined the two to make this story, but it's actually a medical mystery about the cure for HIV-AIDS. And how the information came to me, it's sort of downloaded in the middle of the night. All my stuff comes to me at 3 in the morning, and I don't even know where it comes from. It comes from some higher source, I imagine, but I take it and I write quickly, write like feverishly, and I it's almost like automatic writing, and I know I'm supposed to just give it to the world. And so... The protagonist in the in the story, the twig painter, is is in the trucking business, but she's retired CIA, and basically it's it's a thriller, it's a medical mystery. And ironically, I used to work for God Trucking, G O D, which in the Northeast was guaranteed overnight delivery, but on the trucks it said God. And if you go on my website, you'll see the trucks on on the page of my story, and 
when I used to come to the traffic managers of the huge Fortune 500 companies like Gillette and Raytheon and, and so forth, digital, I'd go in and they'd look at my card and the receptionist would call the traffic manager and say, oh, my goodness, God's here and it's a woman. And it was kind of funny. <laughs> So in the in the book though I changed the name to Angel Trucking because I didn't want to have any any lawsuits with God but mm-hmm. God's not even in business anymore. Wow. Well, God overnight delivery might not be in business anymore, but God, <laughs> the universe, uh, the great Creator obviously is never out of business and never sleeps. But that is pretty funny that um, they'd say, "Oh, God is here." <laughs> and also, <laughs> you know, I I thought this was all like fiction based on fact which I thought it was, but I went to NIH and in D.C. to make sure, um, you know, that it was plausible because I don't think you should read stuff that's not plausible. So they said, yes, yes, I talked to the scientists. It's plausible. But then many years later, I had a doctor call me and say, hey, you know, Jerry, that weird thing you were talking about with the twigs, are you sitting down? And I said, yes. And they said, well, your theory, they're actually working on it for real. And how, you better call Howard Olinsky, who wrote this article from the Chicago Tribune. So I called him right up, and he said, how did you get this idea, Jerry? And I said, well, I don't know. It just came to me. And he said, well, you better call Dr. Sojato at the University of Chicago because they're working on your theory right now. And I called Dr. Sojato, and sure enough, you know, in Sarawak, Malaysia, they're working on this theory. Wow. That's, that's, that's fascinating. That's really fascinating. I can't wait to finish the book. I'm just I just started it in this last week, and um, it's uh, it really is. You don't want to put it down once you get. Oh, started. good. Oh, good. Well, yeah. people can get it on on Amazon.com, but you can go to my website and find all about it and read read the you know the review. And hopefully, Lillian, you'll put a review on 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 uh, Amazon yourself when you finish it. I will. I will definitely do that. Any advice? For and I'll be lecturing about about that too when I'm on the on the cruise, the world cruise. I'm lecturing with the book too, you know, for the book club on the cruise about the twig painter. People like to read it when when they're on a cruise because you know they don't have distractions. And the mm-hmm. fun thing for me is to be following people around and listening to strangers say, "Oh my God, I couldn't put this book down," and they're they're carrying my book. Well, and so tell us. Tell our listeners also about uh, you're going to be leaving, I believe it's in January, and uh, what is it that exactly that you're going to be doing on the cruise? Yes, yes, I um, I have exciting. guest lectured in the past on Princess Line in the Baltics and in Hawaii, and now they have asked me to guest present and lecture um, on a world cruise starting in Honolulu going to Pago Pago and then New Zealand and then Australia. And I will be talking about the making of, of, of shows, of television, of movies, um, everything in my career and, and how Live Life came about, um, different types of healers and so forth, and um, and just giving people hope, giving people hope for a better life. Wow. And, and to think that this is now what you do for a living, it's your passion, and, you know, most people go on a cruise, you know, they pay to go on a cruise. You're sharing what it is that you love to do most, and you get to go on the cruise and get paid for it. It's like it really is a dream life, and it is possible. Well, thank you. I think it's all because when I was very young, God Trucking sent me on a seminar with Tony Robbins, and I went broke wood with my bare hands. I walked on the hot coals. 
I knew that at that moment in my life I could do anything. And my children, my two girls, were the youngest children to ever walk on the hot coals because I brought them when Tony was in New York because I felt like it was so, it empowered me so much. And I swear that's Mm -hmm. why I'm so empowered because I feel like I can really do anything and against all odds. That is such a wonderful message. And so in line with, with my tagline, dream the impossible dream. It's possible. Right. Absolutely. So, you have to believe. Yeah, you really do. So do you have parting words for our for our listeners? Uh, well, I'm so grateful to you, Lillian, for having me on this show. I think what you're doing to help people and inspire people and, and let people know that, that – Look, life is just today. There's nothing more. You have to live today like there's no tomorrow, which is what Will says. That's the name of that episode. Live today like there's no tomorrow. That's how I, my philosophy, and that's how me and Alan run our lives. Mm-hmm. We do everything and anything possible today because you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. And you can't live in the past. You have to live for today and make the most of it. You know, inspire others. Be good to others. Spread goodness and spread love, and it will all come back to you. And that's really what I do. I have the most amazing family. I have amazing children, amazing grandchildren, sisters and brothers. My mom's 92. She's listening in right now. Mm. And she's always inspired me. My dad still inspires me. My dad was a writer, even though he died 39 years ago. I swear, he is giving me signs all the time that he sees everything happening to me. He saw me win the Emmy. Wow. Oh, that's the one question I do want to ask you. What did it feel like? I know you said that there was this um, element of surrealness when they announced your name both times. What did it actually feel like when you actually had your hand on that? And you're like, wow, I'm not dreaming. I'm actually touching an Emmy. It's in your hand and it's yours. It felt comfortable and that this was the right thing to happen like it just felt like this is supposed to happen to me and it's all a big plan and I'm in the plan and the right things are happening and because I work really hard and I have an amazing work ethic and I don't let anything stop me at all ever um, I just feel like it felt comfortable it felt right that's all I can really say. And, and and when I look at those two Emmys on my pedestal all day, every day, it's just the way it's supposed to be. It feels very natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds like you were very allowing and, and receptive to it. Uh, yeah. I hope that doesn't sound, like, egotistical because I don't mean it to be that way at all. I, I just feel like I've worked hard my whole life for a long, long time. And, you know, it's like now I'm reaping the benefits. It's the next natural and logical step. And I think uh, what I hear from a lot of our guests on our show is that, you know, they are they're really good at um, managing their emotions and thoughts when it comes to the negative emotions and thoughts of doubt and um, so forth. You know, doubting, when you uh, pay too much energy and too much attention to doubting, and, you know, listen to the people who say, well, you know, what makes you think you can do that? Or, you know, that's next to impossible or no one's ever done that. But, um, you know, that's fine. That could be their, you know, that's their thoughts. That's what they think. That's their monkey. You don't need to embrace that. You can just smile and say, yeah, you know, that that might be true for you. But, you know, and let it go. And you just continue to 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 dwell on what it is that you want because you know that that you have a higher purpose. 
I can't imagine, you know, the difference in the life of uh, Will Peters, how different his life would have been without you giving a voice to Madeline. Oh, that's so kind of you. I'm, but you're so right. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I do not ever, ever, ever read a newspaper, nor do I ever, ever watch news. And the reason for that is that I will never let any negativity get in. I try to always surround myself with positivity in all ways. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's something I really need to know, my husband will tell me if it's something you know earth-shattering about the world. But basically, I don't want to be have anything negative get in. And it's just what you were saying, that you know, doubt and fear and whatever. Those those are not parts of my vocabulary. And I don't like to take no for an answer. I mean, when I wanted to have a certain song in my step-up piece, and you know, um, Hard Times Come Easy by Richie Sambora, um, a very famous, famous person, that was the song I wanted. And I, and I knew I had to get it. And, of course, we didn't have a budget. And I just called his agent, and when I showed him my piece, he, Richie said, you can have the song. This is an amazing piece of work, and we have that song. I mean, it's amazing. That is amazing. So there you have it, you know. Which I meant um, to tell Glenn that story. He would have loved it. You have to tell him. Well, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much for an amazing hour, Jerry. I can't wait to see uh, the rest of the, you know, the other ten uh, TV shows of Live Life, and I encourage all of our listeners to go on YouTube. We've got the link here posted on the show description. Please click on the link and share it with your friends, and let's see if we can get to a million viewers sooner rather than later. And uh, I even encourage some of you who are more proactive to even pick up the phone or send an email to Discovery Channel say, hey, we heard about this Live Life series. When is it going to air? You know, we want it. We want it now. Because oh, you're really amazing, Lillian. Spectacular amazing. piece of work. So I thank you again for um, for all your hard work, your perseverance, your passion, your tenacity, and your willingness to embrace uh, embrace this project and make it happen. You really have. So I am honored to so have you So much for us. having me. It was such an honor. Well, thank you very much. This is the Bottom Line Show Live. We are every Wednesday at 11, 11 a.m. This has been a, a delight having Jerry Scher, two-time Emmy Award-winning director, writer, producer. Thank you. Peace and love always. <laughs>